Welcome to another episode of CX Talks. Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of CX Talks with myself, Tom Carpenter. And today I'm joined by our Head of Financial Services, Lucille Knight. And today we're going to talk about customer experience in the financial services sector and how that's impacting the way in which banks operate and the way in which consumers kind of expect to work with banks. Hello, Lucille. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. We've been talking quite a bit recently with customers in in retail banking and insurance around the real or apparent threat from fintechs and how they're getting more and more customers and how there's a potential move of customers away from the big legacy banks. And whilst there's the reality on the ground and, and smaller fintech banks are more nimble and they can innovate more easily and therefore be more attractive, there's still plenty of things that more legacy banks can do um, in the CX space. And, and how do you think the legacy banks are reacting to the fintechs, the Monzos, the Starlings of this world? As an outsider, I don't see much change. I still receive every correspondence I have with my bank is telling me that my interest rate has risen or that my savings account has expired or something that I don't feel like they're thinking about the fact that I'm a consumer to them. They seem to be acting in the very same way. A lot of their interaction with me is about compliance. It's not about my experience. Do you agree with that? That's a really good question. So first of all, I think banks are really aware of their need to improve CX. There's a lot of work happening behind the scenes to improve things. Banks that are trying to be clever about it will be looking at improving processes and backgrounds. So they might not have snazzy new things, but the way they'll provide services to their customers will be faster, more efficient, slightly cheaper. So there's kind of effort happening, but it does take a while. I think one of the challenges they've had is yeah, constant regulation that's keeping their uh, massive chunk of their budget on that. There's the reality of all of the different IT suites and platforms they've got to deal with, and they can't just move aside, you know, layers and layers of data and multiple places with all of the data privacy challenges that you can imagine. And I do think actually that's not true. I think there's lots of pockets of banks here and there that are providing outstanding CX. It's just it doesn't maybe form a, this big picture that everybody celebrates. They don't, you know, they're not the new kid on the block with a new metal card. No, you love that. And therefore, it, maybe it's not as visible. LV Insurance, for instance, hearing from them at a, a recent Gartner conference, but they were talking about how they reduced their claims processing from 40 days for a total loss to a couple of hours using RPA and AI to process images. So that maybe doesn't make the headlines for everybody, but actually here and there, you've got lots of these innovations happening. And I think but there's lots of different things that banks can do to improve CX. Uh, yeah, and you're certainly right. And uh, the unseen improvement in CX is they're faster responding to things or uh, quicker reacting. I think that probably is true. As you alluded to, I mean, I, I'd love a metal card. So it, it also, you don't have to reinvent or revolutionize to think about improving the customer experience as well. There probably are smaller things that large banks could do. So it's interesting that maybe they think they have to completely revolutionize to compete with Monzo and Starling, but they could actually do some really subtle things and small things without any lack investment that could change the yeah, perception exactly. of them as well. That's it, because actually the, all of the latest nasty thing you might want to plug into an old system is not going to really have an impact if the back end is really disjointed and I think when banks are looking at improving the overall customer journey they can't be looking at 
all of these journeys in isolation, you know, the, the clever way to do this when banks are redesigning their processes for that is to look at how's the data flowing across all of these and how can we make the most of each interaction with customers so that if someone, let's say, has a loan application in and they also are using another product or calling that something else, how can in the back end all of these processes be kind of touching so that the overall experience is easier, so that whoever's interacting with that customer at one point has a view of everything else that's happening for them and therefore serves them better. Again, it's not a metal card, but that's doable. It's a matter of focusing effort, I guess. Yeah, focusing effort, I think, is important. So obviously, they're a huge bank, loads of customers. So to change anything could impact millions of people. But then they could pick something that's less risky to them. Let's say they don't provide many customers with pet insurance, but they could improve the pet insurance process and see how that goes, learn from that, and then apply it to other areas. Maybe they are doing that. Yeah, but that's actually how a lot of banks work so more and more banks like most of the banks now are trying to you know deliver agile so pick a topic break it down identify an opportunity build an mvp and release that so actually they're, they're doing that we know that lots of big banks you know will pick a particular area try it ar try rpa for something specific make a business case and then roll it out across the bank they are doing this but again i think there's a difference between the reality on the ground where banks are investing money and what we see is more external users. It's just not as exciting. Oh, this big bank is just doing this quick improvement versus all oh, this new tech is doing this very basic thing, but they're doing it for the first time. Also, in order to compete with the likes of a brand new fintech company who's obviously starting from Greenfield, I think they would have to have a very segregated, safe space to do that, like an innovation yeah. zone or something like that. Otherwise, so they're not constrained by their other technology. Yeah, well, actually, some large British banks are doing this. They've got a lot of human-centered design labs and, and functions, which are completely just left to innovate as independent as possible in theory, kind of, kind of set up. And also, the thing to, I think, recognize is a lot of banks more and more are working with fintechs. They're partnering on products and services and sometimes even just using different core banking platforms, the likes of Thought Machine from Google and 10x. Yeah, and also with the likes of things like Apple Pay and Google Pay, I think banks could actually use other technologies to revolutionize their service rather than having to feel like they need to reinvent everything themselves. I mean, it's an interesting one that you mentioned these companies because in the past we've talked about CX, we talked about the rising expectations of customers who they're buying something in Amazon and it's very easy and they're transferring that expectation to everything else in their life, including their bank. And now that expectation has become even, even stronger because Amazon is going into the banking world. So they are going to offer that amazing CX. I haven't experienced them directly while well, they are disrupting the market there as well. Yeah, and it's difficult for banks because obviously have their legacy customer-facing things like the branches, mm -hmm. which the, uh, their competitors don't have to worry about. They're trying to run an operational business as well as transform, which is very difficult. This, but I think... Where we're biased a bit in London is that, you know, I know Monza is not the latest kid in the, on the block, but I quite like looking at Monza as a good example of, oh, it's very exciting, they're growing really quickly, they're very different, and they're completely, you know, mobile first and mobile only, really. And everybody's thinking, okay, that's really threatening. But the reality of it is actually they're massive in London, but they're nowhere else in the UK, and they've got a very small demographic. So, yes, it's, it's a bit of a challenge and a massive cost, to have physical branches, but actually it gives you access to lots of people who otherwise would struggle to have access to banking advice and, and banking services. So I think we need to look at the banking reality for the whole country and not just London for 30 year olds. And actually on that point, I think thinking about the post office money, they're quite an interesting one because they use other parties for a lot of their banking products. And whilst they've got an operating model that's quite different from a lot of banks, they've got a real advantage because 
they're using franchises and different post offices. So they're very physically present. They've got a really good physical footprint. And that's also the reality of CX is that everybody's talking about mobile only and digital and chatbots and all of this. But actually an awful lot of the population that requires support like it face to face. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, yeah, they go digital first and they jump where actually most people need an omni-channel experience. Like you might have to talk to someone on the phone at some point. So trying to completely cut it out only works for certain demographics. So the likes of kind of your Monzo and your Uber is fine because generally it's used by a demographic where they don't really want to talk to people. Whereas yeah. if you supply to the full population, you can't do that. You have to have an omni-channel yeah. strategy. Yeah. Plus, there's an element of like, trust is built differently for different generations and different demographic and whilst our generation might find it very easy to switch and has a deep trust in technology that's not the case for everybody so actually regardless of how shiny the new cards might be a lot of people will not see this as a viable option but you, you're touching on omnichannel i think it's quite an interesting one everybody's kind of like oh you have to be omnichannel i was hearing recently someone talk about actually the, the myth that this is and if you do want to offer omnichannel as a bank you have to consider exactly what customer needs you're trying to serve because a lot of customers are channel agnostic and when you offer lots of options you're just going to open up your spending massively because they will just switch and if you want to try a new channel you need to probably invest in it and this to be like a proper like solid strategy instead of or here's 15 ways for you to contact us. Yeah, because when I say omni-channel, I'm not saying everyone has to have lots of channels. Like some banks, First Direct, for example, mm-hmm. like they don't offer physical branches and neither do Monzo. It's just you have to be intentional about your channel strategy. Yeah. Like just trying to switch from l- paper, for example, which obviously is very old school, to digital, all of a sudden is quite challenging. Like you have to be able to offer multiple channels and gradually phase them kind of in and out, I think, so which is more of a challenge for a legacy, like a large bank than obviously a new fintech provider. So they don't have to think about that. They can just go with one channel and target yeah. one segment like Monzo do. Yeah. And I thought we might manage to get through this talk without the trust and banking connotation, but we've got there. So let, let's have a bit of a talk about that. What sort of ways have you seen or do you recommend that banks build trust and how does that relate to CX? So there's a few elements that make up trust in banking, I think. First of all, kind of the quality. So how's the service provided? And essentially our banks doing what they say they're promising. That's a massive component of the, of the trust that clients will have in a much faster way. There's the level of ease of transacting and, and just having that interaction with the bank which is a big big factor and and finally I guess quite related to all of these is like how simple is that interaction and then overall the wrapper around that is some some customers like the kind of the emotional connection of so the bank's been around for 250 years therefore it's going to be that more it's not a fad and this is a lot more difficult to harness and create so the strategies for bank to create that but it's a that's the thing that fintechs don't have. They haven't been around for, for a long time. Yeah, and I, I think previously banks have hugely marketed the fact that they have been there for 100 years and 200 years. Yeah. And previously that would have built loyalty or advocacy. Yeah. Whereas now, because predominantly things like the banking crisis and LIBOR and other mm-hmm. scandals, it's like regardless of how long you've been around, the majority of banks were in some way caught up in those scandals i mean i guess the reality is it's not the retail banks largely it's the investment banks but because it's bad publicity Mm -hmm. for say the likes of hsbc barclays lloyd's like their whole retail 
banking function is tarnished. I really like the Lloyd's adverts with the horses and they're oh, filled yeah. and you feel this emotional connection, yeah. but it still doesn't get away from the fact that they were in some way wrapped up in some of the financial scandals and you know they yeah. they have an investment yeah. bank. Yeah. yeah, so it's very challenging for them I think yeah. to disassociate their brand from bankers in the city yeah. and the financial crisis for them. I think that they've got a good opportunity though and I think where where having physical branches and a physical presence in the community helps them is that on the one hand you can set a marketing strategy and you can go all out and you can have beautiful horses running on the beach which is great. I'm not a fan of the horse. Are you joking? I cried the first time. Oh yeah. That, that music makes me cry. Did you cry? Yeah. So it really it works for me but if it doesn't work for people there's a lot of customers you think well this is just rubbish and it's just all marketing stuff there's a real opportunity and actually a real impact that banks can have at a much slower scale which is just going through their communities so getting involved in local initiatives supporting other local businesses on charities organizing events and talking to a building society head of customer actually a few weeks back she was talking about how deeply ingrained in the fabric of their local community they are and therefore actually locally their business has a great reputation and there's a very strong sense of loyalty. If you set a top-down kind of strategy and we're going to say that and that's the message, but actually giving free reign to the teams on the ground has a much bigger impact and also that's a genuine impact. And I think probably when a lot of people or organisations that think about revolutionising their customer experience, they think it's some shiny app or UI yeah. and maybe yeah. like the way in which they communicate to the customers like email. But actually all of that obviously is a wrapper around the experience they have with the bank as well. Exactly. Like that's sort of nice to have, but it's maybe five percent of of the overall customer experience because actually having processes that take five steps, five interactions instead of ten or fifteen, that alone makes for a completely transformed experience. It's a bit like, you know, you call up and you've had a problem or you've got a claim with your insurance. If whoever picks up the phone has your details and you don't have to spend five minutes again talking to two people explaining again. It's a small thing, but that's all about data. It's all about having the right systems talking to each other, having a very clear flow, and having a kind of an end-to-end -end journey for that customer instead of very disjointed. And again, that doesn't take anything quite extravagant. We've got a few kind of opportunities for banks to improve CX, make a stronger connection instead of just relying on normal marketing stuff. So Lucille, in your experience, what, what would you recommend banks do to improve their customer experience? So a few things that aren't earth-shattering that banks can start thinking about. Back to the basics of, okay, you say you want to be customer-focused or customer-centric. What does that mean in reality? What are the things you can change to make that real? So starting with the products and services, instead of kind of selling features and selling, well, this is doing all of that, or these are all the benefits that'll bring you, focus on the solution. So a lot of banks nowadays are talking about, you know, financial freedom for wealth management or just financial health as a whole, that's like a whole new thing that everybody's talking about now. So, so banks are starting to pivot in that direction of actually, who's the person they're trying to help? What does that person want to get? Okay, they want to buy a house and they want to then travel and they want to help their kids, you know, go to university. So really take that perspective and therefore products and services will be positioned in that way and they're just a part of the conversation with the customer instead of being the center of it. So like building a whole package, let's say I get a first time buyer mortgage and yeah. they also what they'll like adjust my current account so that it, it matches with that and offer me offers that relate to where they think I am. 
Yeah, exactly. They'll talk about the bigger picture with you. Obviously, they have to be careful in terms of financial advice because it's heavily regulated. That's the kind of thing we're thinking about. And the way they're talking about their products and services is in that way. It's kind of, what do you want out of your money? Let us help you get there instead of, oh, this thing is cheaper than that thing. Obviously, I've mentioned data and having things flow across all systems and all journeys instead of having very fragmented experiences. That's kind of the, the basics, I think, and a good place to start. Which should be easier with open banking as well. I think open banking is a great way for banks to have a look at who's spending how and for banks to communicate, but it's not the same as internally when someone's got a few different products across, you know, yeah, wealth, retail, and let's insurance. If you're a banking group with that kind of product, you've got opportunities to link all of that up and, and therefore help offer something that's a lot. There's the very simple kind of mindset of every time there's an interaction, instead of just sharing information, Think about how you can create an emotional link with a customer with that. So again, building empathy, I guess, through all of these touch points. And overall, I think it all falls under the idea of actually, yes, you're selling products, but more widely you're serving your customers. So what would be helpful? How would it be faster, easier, seamless, and overall, I guess, quite delightful? I know we don't want to say CX is about being delightful, but it's about making it easy and fast and reliable. So it's not like, oh, I have to call my bank, what a pain, or it's going to take forever. Yeah, and also I think that's maybe where there's a bit of a shift because Monzo, a lot of that is about just being quick and easy and accessible, whereas other segments of customers want a more personalized experience and maybe they just want to think that you're recommending or believe you're recommending them the right thing for them. They don't mind if it takes a bit longer and it's a bit more clunky. So you're right, there's almost like the personalization element and the quick and easy, and sometimes there's overlap. I guess it depends what you're after and what, yeah, what kind of businesses we're talking about. Monzo, in my mind, is quite straightforward, and I don't mm-hmm. know how they deal with complex things. And equally, they're, they're retail, right? They don't have the whole suite of other things you can tap into, which is also something that the big banking groups have going for, is that you can be a customer and have pockets of money in different parts of the bank. Yeah, and I also think that I, as a younger demographic, love the fact that it's on my phone and it no- therefore knows like where I am and what I'm doing, and it's welcome to Denmark, and this is the current exchange rate and etc etc whereas some people might not like that because they already think the banks are doing something dodgy with their money so actually they don't like that kind of experience so i think there also is a don't try and compete with revolut and monzo type angle as well like how could you be different to those in offering a more like we're going to personalize for you but not in a like creepy way and some that that will relate to some people yeah. rather than that they, they don't like the big brothers watching me sort of angle of mobile yeah that's, i mean th- there's I think most banks will will have to maximize the opportunities of that kind of feature because it's amazing and it's just a matter of people to catch on with, with that concept. Banks should do a couple of things first, like be very clear on what demographic or what customer segment need what. What's the most important for these five or ten different customer segments? What's the thing to prioritize? And then secondly, okay, out of all the amazing tech opportunities we've got, like AI and machine learning and all that, what's the one we want to leverage? But the step in between, I guess, is okay. So we're very clear on what these customers want. How do we get there? And lots of it is process improvement. So how do we make it more efficient, faster, with less handoffs between teams and all of that? And also the other thing about as you're doing this, you're massively improving employee experience. People serving 
your customers will be happier because it'll be much easier for them. They won't be logging into five different systems to get five different parts of one story. And as a result, they'll have more time with the customers. It's kind of having that end-to-end view, I think, is key to whatever changes. Yeah, and I think similarly, yes, they can build a brand new app, but probably that's going to take a while and be quite expensive. But just starting to do things like tailoring the communications, what you say, when you say, yeah. it, maybe the style in which you say things, alongside the process improvement can make a massive difference in itself without huge investment. New technology platforms, which as you say, are probably more challenging for the big banks who have older CRM solution, older integration platforms. So it's very difficult for them to to be nimble unless it's in a completely isolated environment. Yeah, I think back to your point earlier about, you know, they need to try things in small places, launch them and see whether it works. I think more and more banks are adopting that approach of lots of small labs launch a new product, a new feature, and try it. I think it's the way forward. Yeah, because also, if you're launching something new, uh, product-wise, then you could do that from scratch, whereas if you're trying to alter an existing product, it's much harder. Yeah. yeah. There's lots of shiny things out there, and there might be pressure to keep up with all of these new entrants and the new tools and the new tech, but I think banks shouldn't react as a knee-jerk decision to change everything, start from scratch, and also they can't do that. But it needs to be carefully considered really. Otherwise, it's just a waste of money. I think any kind of investment in that space needs to be prioritized, looked at, okay, what's the impact where we want? Also understand the customers. If you're going to tailor something for a customer segment, it's got a high price elasticity, they'll move to something else tomorrow, then it's a waste of money. So I think prioritize the customers that actually already have strong levels of loyalty. A lot of people probably still have their old bank and are using those cards. You're right, so it's not like it's instead of, it's as well as. I think the real opportunity for the likes of Monzo and Revolut who are having lots of money moved from, let's say, a legacy bank to them is that they know exactly how that money is spent. Whereas the legacy bank with the main account, yes, has the benefit of the main salary being paid into, but they don't see because then a whole lump goes out in one go. So I, I guess I'd encourage them to look at the data they already have and maximize that. How do they monetize it and how do they use it? to help customers better. Because yeah, I think uh, even like my Google Pay tells me some of the information, like sorry, the data around what I'm spending and where. So I v- barely go to my actual bank to yeah. look at that sort of thing anymore. Yeah, yeah you're right, it's interesting. Like the change in behavior, it means the features they need or want are, are different. Yeah, I guess, the, the, and that's why they didn't think about what's the other unmet need. Because the fintechs can't offer everything that these customers want. And you do have the day-to-day banking covered, but what else is there? that people do worry about that they're not getting. I think it's going to be an interesting time as years go by to see all of these fintechs settle, see as they grow in terms of market change, what's making an impact, you know, what's the latest product, or equally, what's the feature that we thought would be brilliant and actually people don't care about. The thing that surprised me about metal cards, for instance, I don't want to have any cards. It's like why people have giant trendy trainers. It's just fashion. It's cool, it's fashionable. Yeah, yeah. Like, it is like, for me, the idea of getting another card it's bonkers. Like, why would you want another physical card to lose? And by the time you have a load of cards in your Apple Pay or your Google Pay wallet, it starts to become irrelevant what it is anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, that's why I don't get it. But I mean, that's an interesting concept in itself, that eventually it's starting to become, as you pointed out with Amazon, the tech providers and not even fintechs, like actual tech firms mm-hmm. who are starting to dominate the, the transactional market, at least which completely changes the game again for those banks who have been chasing Monza. Now suddenly they need to start chasing Amazon. And Amazon obviously for years now has seen how people buy, what they buy, how they spend it, when they spend it. So they've got a really good understanding of what makes customers buy and like the overall buying pattern. So I do think that's a real thread.
Um, but again, it's a good challenge to solve. Like, how are you different? You know, you look at any kind of market strategy, you need to look at, see, there's the internal competition in the market, so the existing competition, but you've got the new entrants, you've got your customer base, you've got how can you differentiate your products and services, and then you've got your suppliers. And obviously banks need to consider all of these to see what their next move is. Well, thank you so much for talking today, Lucille. Uh, thank you listeners for listening, and we look forward to welcoming you on another episode of CX Talk. Thank you, Thank you listeners for listening, and we look forward to welcoming you on another episode of CX Talks. <laughs>